Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Listen In Podcast with Jake and Sean. It is episode 156, May 22nd, 2019. We had a bit of a break there, Jake. It's been a wild month of May for us. You have a new puppy. I do, and it, it and it actually was on the pre-show of last time. So if listeners heard that one, that's when I was first mentioning it. It's been a wild ride. It's it has. Uh, we, we we love her, but yeah. it, it, it's a lot. It's like it's it's a new thing. It's an adjustment, um, but it, it's been good. It's like I you know you put yourself to the test a little bit on it, and you got to like figure it out because it's you like, do. You it's know, like life, man. Yeah. So yeah, life gets in the way a little bit. We had a busy few weeks. You got a dog. We had some work stuff, some personal life commitments. But we are back on the mics because we cannot skip when the National put out a new album, Jake. Certainly can't. And um, this past Friday, they put out their eighth studio album, I Am Easy to Find. Shock Jock. With the motorcycle Zip roaring by. How many episodes ago was the last time Shock Jock Jock came on the pod? Oh, came on the pod or was mentioned on the pod? Well, mentioned, it's probably like 15, 20 so episodes. That's what I was going to say, like 15. On the pod, it's probably like uh, 50 to 75 episodes. We were probably closer to the start of the podcast than we are when now. Shock Jock last came on than we are we We, now, we sort of just on. unofficially wrote him off. Pretty much. Because I think he, you know... The joke ran its course. It did, on the podcast it did. It still lives on in our hearts and in our minds. And on um, Twitter. A lot of new listeners probably have no clue who Shock Jock is. No. Or probably, who we are. Maybe for the best. Maybe for the best. Yeah, I mean... Just At this point. A parody. That 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 is a, an old listening podcast fan thing to Any, remember. Anybody out there who remembers the Shock Jock Jock days... Uh, give a shout. Give on a shout, Twitter. and we'll send you our entire stock of listening podcast stickers. Once we find them, so ah, sh- I got mine somewhere. Okay, what well, mine are somewhere too? <laughs> I gotta find them. Um, so this national album, Sean. So this is a it's a big day whenever the national drops a new album. I gotta say, it's it's interesting to get one in pretty close proximity to a right? previous one because we get tr- um, not trouble will find me. We got uh, sleep well beast. Only a year and a half ago. So this is now the second national album that we've talked about on the podcast. And it's weird because, like, this is my favorite band that is currently making music. Um, They're my favorite band of this century and of this decade. They mean a whole lot to me. And there's, like, this weird pressure when a new national album comes out, um, A, to listen and enjoy it and like really absorb everything that's coming out about it all the press the interviews you know the music videos the singles etc seeing when the tour dates are you know buying the special edition vinyl there's all these like boxes you feel like you need to tick um and then the other layer is talking about it on the podcast yeah. it feels like there's this other layer of like oh i need to do it justice when i'm talking about it you know what though I think we've had enough national albums now since we've started listening to them where we can just kind of like take it as it comes. For sure. Uh, What I was going to say too, what makes this one tougher than ever to do that uh, is it's, it's, there's a lot to digest here. It's an hour and three minutes of music. um, And I think almost all of it really good. And uh, it's it's a lot to to take in, and it's it, because what's their longest album before? They're usually forty five minutes. They're right? they're 45? like well, I mean, Sleep Well Beast was like fifty, right? Was pretty close to an hour, actually. It was pretty long. Um, so yeah, I mean, like they they've gotten up close to an hour. Like High Violet, I'm I'm pretty sure was 
around an hour as well, right? Is or, it? or very, very close. I, I'll look right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. for some reason, something about this, I think what it is is the number of tracks or that's the yeah. Fact I that mean, Sleep Well Beast was twelve songs, fifty-seven minutes. Yeah, so it's really not that big a difference. Somehow, in my Trouble will find me was fifty-five. Something about it feels significant. I mean, I mean that's only eight minutes, seven minutes, but it but, fe- it feels significant. Yeah. I, I think all it is is the fact that it eclipsed the hour, and it also there's several tracks, and none all of that not even to to say or acknowledge that. This is a really different album by them. It is. So I think these collaborators. That's that's the thing to kind of get out of the way first. But I feel like that's, at this point, almost not the least interesting thing about it right now. But I think it's the one that. No, it is. But I think that's like the narrative that is cropped up around this album. It's like, ooh, it's different. Female vocalists, different collaborators. Mike Mills is the producer. There's a short film that goes along with it. It's like these are the notes that like have just been hit in every review in every press piece leading up to this. Yeah. And like, but honestly, it's like you kind of do have to start there because that is really like the narrative of this album. Well, what I wanted to say is that if like we can't give short shrift to the female collaborators oh. on this album because they are like members of the band Absolutely. on this album because. Some of them, like I guess it's Gail Ann Dorsey and Lisa Hannigan, mm-hmm. are on like several of the tracks. So is that Brooklyn Youth Chorus. Right. They appear throughout, and they really become a part of the story of the album and the feel of the album. Yeah. So, and I and I think it's to its credit, to be honest with you. I do too. I think if this album were 17 songs of just Matt Berninger singing like he does on all of the other ones. It's not as interesting. I think it's especially important on this album because... And Sleep Well Beast was a little this way. But I think this is the furthest they've gone in the direction of... We're going to really slow it down. Oh, yeah. And there's some on here where like the drums are a little more propulsive. Yep. And things really get moving a little bit. But like... Now, banger is a relative term when we're talking about a band like The National. <laughs> right. But there's no like... There's not really that many of those types of songs on There's here. There's not. These like, are also what, pretty what mid-tempo, even, slow songs. What would you songs. even classify as like the... Closest? The rock song banger on here. I think the closest are You Had Your Soul With You and like probably Where Is Her Head to a Degree. Right. But what's interesting... So yeah, like Where Is Her Head... Island a is little. like barely a national song. That yeah. song could be on like... Insert any great female artist record from this year, and you'd be like, "Hell yeah!" But like, it's almost not because I when when that when this album came out, "Where Is Her Head" was an immediate highlight. I think that song's awesome. It's incredible. I love it. It's, it's one of my favorites. And I was like, sure. "Huh? Why wasn't this one of the singles?" And then I thought about it more. I was like, "Well, this isn't really even a national song. That'd be like really jarring to put that out as a as a single." And it's really interesting now, having listened to the album a lot. To look at the singles that they put out in the context of the album. So I think You Had Your Soul With You actually makes a lot of sense to put that out as a lead single. It's the first first track. It's still maybe one of the closest to this new national sound that developed with Sleep Well Beast. I think it's one of the most immediate on the album. It's one of the most immediate. You know, Ryland was another single. That was late, though. That was like the day before the album. And then Hairpin Turns. And then Light Years. Those are all very much like, oh, these probably could have been on any national album. The rest of this album is a pretty big departure from that sound. And I feel like they held back on putting out any of those other songs as singles to kind of be like, just wait for the album and you'll see like we're doing some different stuff here. 
Yeah, I, another thing I, I kind of wanted to point out that I thought was really interesting in looking at the lyrics. So, like, on Wikipedia, it shows who wrote the lyrics for each. I'm sure it says it in the vinyl sleeve and all that. Um, so, is it Karen or Corinne Besser? I think it's Corinne. Corinne Besser is, is Matt Berninger's wife, right? And yep. she wrote the lyrics or co-wrote the lyrics for, like, a bunch of songs on here. Yeah. She, she is cited alone for writing the lyrics for You Had Your Soul With You and for Hey Rosie. So, I think... If she didn't always collaborate, I think she may have. I think she always sort of collaborated, but like was never necessarily credited is or it acknowledged. I think this is the most she has ended up collaborating. Um, it really, I think, started with Sleepwell Beast, where she it was like very much like uh, and because Matt was saying in interviews that was the first record where he was really like, yeah, and like my wife Corinne would help with the lyrics. Before that, I think she helped, but it was never like explicitly acknowledged in that way. I think it's it, it, doing that and, and including to such a prominent degree the female voices on this album. I, I mean, I think it's easy for a white guy to say this, but it feels like a good way to break down some of the walls of masculinity that surround what it means to be a rock band. Yes. Um, and, 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 and of course, they're hyper aware of that as a yeah. narrative. Um, and I think it's interesting too, like the last two albums, Sleep Well Beast and Now I Am Easy to Find, are so much like speaking to like marriages or relationships falling apart after people have been together for a really long time and what being together for that long can kind of do to you. Yeah. Um, and it's really, I think, important to have that female voice and female perspective when you're having kind of this dialogue. So it's not all just like from Matt's perspective of this guy who's like, ugh. Like, I'm, I'm tired of this relationship. It's like, no, we're getting female vocalists and a female voice who's saying, like, hey, I'm dealing with a lot of this stuff, too, you know? Yeah. I had an interesting thought when I was listening to the National, to this album today, and I, I wanted to run it by you because I'm not, it, it's definitely a half-baked thought. Um, I was realizing that the National, I think, always has, like, the way their music comes together with vocals on top of the music, I think as a result of the fact that Matt plays no instruments right. in the band... There's always been this interesting mixture where it like it's not a disconnect, but it feels like it, I could never put a word to it. And I realized today I was I was listening to the album and I, I want to know what you think of this. It's almost like the Desners make a beat mm -hmm. and Matt like writes he he's like it not raps, but he it's like almost like a beat maker slash yeah. rapper relationship. I think that's so spot on. And like especially on this album yep. where Matt has never been less melodic on yeah, a lot I of the stuff. It's like there's some where he's really leaning into his deep, yeah. growly, like sort of mumble. Yep. Or, or literally just talking. Yeah. Spoken word segments. Yeah. Chocolate chip pancakes. <laughs> right, dude. And I love, what I love about that song too is like, some of it just fades out. Where yeah. you're just like, I don't know what you're saying. But then I love when he comes back in with that kind of strained vocal. Where he's like, we can talk it out like yeah. in a car with the rain coming down. I love that part. But I think that's spot on. I think that's 100% spot on. I think I, that I finally put a, a, a point on this thought I had been having about The National for a long time. And I think it's especially pronounced in this album. Um, and I think one song where it's especially pronounced is on uh, Not in Kansas. Yeah. Where it feels like, like that feels like Matt is just going off. Yeah. Because it, 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 it's almost like that song is like truly rambling at some <laughs> yeah, points. Yeah. I really is. like it. Yeah. But he's, it's like borderline stream of consciousness. Yeah, it is. Where he's so, like, just talking about albums he likes. He's like, I like REM. I like the fucking strokes. Right. Like, I, I, uh, I love 
that so apparently I, I was reading uh, like a track by track breakdown of this that the band did for Pitchfork, and that, I gotta read that. that was like originally this was like seventeen stanzas, and he's like. The reason why I thought it was good was because of how rambling and long it was. I really think he wanted this to be like a Desolation Row yeah. kind of song. And then Mike Mills, the producer, was kind of like, no, 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 no. We're going to take out like this, this, and this. We're going to keep this. But then we're going to add in like this female vocal too. And it, you end up getting the song that we get on the record. But I love that he basically compares the Old Testament and New Testament yes. of the Bible to part one and two of Godfather and the first two Strokes albums, yeah. you know? And he's like, I'm binging on Annette Benning, listening to R.E.M. again. Like, this song... Begin so- to begin again. Yes, The yeah, R.E.M. song. Yeah, and, and it's just like, this is so mad. And then he, talk, he talks about, like, how he doesn't think he can, like, punch a Nazi or whatever. I don't know if I... I think that lyric is too on the nose. You do? I do. I, and if, I, if I'm if i being quite honest, even though I like Not in Kansas, I think where it lands on the album, um, it, it kind of between Not in Kansas, So Far, So Fast, and then Dust Worlds and Strange Light, that is a solid almost 15 minutes yeah. of this album. And I think it kind of meanders through yeah. there a little bit. Loses its focus. Not in Kansas, I think, is maybe my least favorite song, even though I like it. Really? Just because of where it falls in the album and, like, kind of, it kicks off this section that's a little just, like... So that's interesting for a couple reasons. One, I'm pretty sure I saw Stephen Hyden picked it as his favorite. I saw that, too. Um, Did you see his breakdown of the 50 best national songs or whatever? No, I didn't. It was not a great... It was definitely just, like, his own list. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, no, I didn't see it. Um, But what I was going to say is that... Earlier, I was thinking about not in Kansas, and comparing it to leaving L.A. Totally. on on pure comedy by Father yep. John Misty, and it's really funny because I had no, I had none of the perspective that this was once a seventeen stanza right. song, and but I remember, as I was listening to it, I was like, well, it's only like six and a half minutes. It's not really that long, but it feels really long for their songs. And I was like, maybe I like I was thinking ahead to maybe making that comparison. That's so spot on too. But it's it, it really feels true and I, I, I totally agree that it does meander. And I, I like there's moments on it I really like yeah. and that I really appreciate. Um but I think for sure there are moments in and throughout the album at various points where I think the failing of this album in terms of why I don't think it's going to reach the heights of probably like I think you were saying last week like my top four right. national albums right. is some of that meandering and some of the is a little listless at points and yeah. it feels like a little less focused. And frankly, it's probably just because it's a quicker turnaround. Yep. I mean, it's still incredible for what it is. And I think there's an element of them emptying the vaults here of songs yeah. that they've had kicking around for a while. Like, I know Rylan is the big one. Like, I, I, I texted you the day this album came out or whatever we were talking and I was like, I've been waiting for Rylan for seven years, basically. And it honestly, it lives up to the, the, the hype. I love this recorded version. Me too. It's arguably my favorite on here um although like there's a lot of other options like i think um i am easy to find the title track where's her head um even quiet light is way up there i love quiet light i was gonna i was gonna cite quiet light as one of my favorites so i think that on rylan when i guess it's kate stables comes in i think that really kicks it into a gear that is like is cool it's this other because I think that's the... Well, no, she's on three tracks, but I think that might be the only one where she's just singing. Yeah. I don't know, because there's so much cross-pollination yeah. going on between 
the the vocalists on the album like there's so much group singing oh yeah and like harmonizing like hard to, going hard on to even know but when she comes in on on Ryland, I really think that that is great and I think it is one of the more propulsive sort it of is. the drums are great on there yeah you know like that very much feels like a classic national song which makes sense like I think so two things we mentioned like the top four like the big four I feel like if your top four is not some order of alligator box or high violet or trouble will find me you're trying really hard to be different yeah does that make sense yeah like, I, th- I think that, i think those are objectively their four best albums i think i think that if there's gonna come a time where people are gonna sneak sleep well beast in there i think that is gonna happen that's probably true and i could i mean i don't know about me i don't think i necessarily would it, you know what's interesting is when i went to i went to newbury comics the other day to buy a copy of father of the bride vampire weekend's nice. new album and i actually got into a conversation with the guy who works Hell there yeah. and he like was uh we were talking about the national yeah. and about the he was like have you heard the new album yeah i was like yeah i listened i thought it was really good and he said he was like, so we were talking about what's your favorite album, and he brought up High Violet as his, which I was pumped yes. about because you don't often no, find you don't. people you don't who also pick High Violet as their favorite. Love it. Um, and I was very down with that because what I've realized over time is that that's actually not a popular opinion. No, it's not. Like people don't pick High Violet. They don't. Um, people pick Boxer for the most part, which doesn't. Sit, I get it. I get it. It's very good. But you know. It's not my so favorite. here's the thing. I, I was uh, on the way back from New York City. Karen and I were listening to all of the Nationals' discography. Yeah. And it was very interesting. I was like, because I hadn't listened to High Violet in a while. And I was like, I want to see how this holds up against all these other ones back to back. And A, it really fucking did. I was like, yeah, this is this is still my favorite. Two, if there's going to be one that overtakes it, it's Trouble Will Find Me. Yeah. That album, oh my God, that's like a perfect album. What happens when Trouble Will Find Me for me is Heaven Faced. And I, Hard to find. Even Hard to Find is like really fucking good. Hard but. to Find I love. For me, it's it's Fireproof that I never like love. So, okay. I had a really good listen to Fireproof this last time. Just listen to the production in that song. Yeah, it's nice. It's, it's so clean. It is so lush. And I, there's this amazing like like heavy, like bassy synth that just goes... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, oh, fuck. This song sounds awesome. Even though it's, you know, it's not a highlight necessarily... All that to say, I was actually, I agree with you. Trouble Will Find Me is maybe my second favorite national album. It's that or Alligator. Um, and I'm frankly more in a place now in my life where I'd rather listen to Trouble Will Find Me. Yeah. Because the highs on that album are higher than like most other. So it's that and High, and High Violet. Because the thing yep. that I think about High Violet is like, that album fucking goes for it. Yeah, it does. And it rips. At all times, basically. Like, it's, it's not it all that heavy, but for the national, it's this perfect. Yep cross-section of when they were a hungry band still yeah. trying to get it and they still had like that anger about them and they were starting to really get a little experimental yep. and I think it's all coming together at this perfect crossroads and then I think Trouble Will Find Me was them being like oh we figured it out here's almost like a victory lap of like if we're gonna put together what a perfect culmination of what a national album could be it's Trouble Will Find Me and then I think after that they were like well Let's get like a little more experimental because like we we don't want to just make that one again. I have no doubt that if they wanted to make Trouble Will Find Me over and over again, they just could. But I don't think it interests them. And that got me thinking about how I Am Easy to Find is their eighth album now. You can very easily split up their eight albums into four quarters or four quadrants yeah. of their career. Obviously, you have the first two that really go together of them still just figuring out what the fuck they were. Then you have Alligator and Boxer where it's like they really started to like get popular takeoff. But they were still like very much playing in like this 
we're just a kind of a rock band, indie rock band, and we do this sound. Then with High Violet and Trouble Will Find Me, it's like, here's the culmination of what that sound is. And now with Sleep Well Beast and I Am Easy to Find, they're, they're older now. They're like, let's just try different shit. And they're really rounding out, I think, a borderline perfect discography. Like, the albums in it aren't necessarily all perfect or no, aren't all but- tens. But when you take it as a whole, it's so rewarding to listen to all of it back to back to back and see that progression and see where they're at right now. It's like an impossibly good run they've gone on. Um, yeah, man. So I, I, I don't know if you, where do you think this ends up ranking? Um, I, it's early to say. Yeah, the way too early ranking is it's maybe not quite as good as Sleep Well Beast, but that's mostly because I think it is just longer and they're trying more stuff. Um, but I do think this is a more impressive album than their first two. I, so I, yeah, I, I would, too. I would have this like six, sixth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is like that's fucking awesome. Yeah, you know, I, like I, it's it's great. Um, and again, it hasn't even been a week. Um, this may change over time. I I could see it potentially being as good as Sleep Well Beast, but I don't think I don't know that it will because I went back and I listened to Sleep Well Beast again and I was like, oh damn, like this album really fucks. So yeah, I, I think it's probably six. What about you? That's where I have okay. it. That's okay. where I have it, and and it's in some combination of probably the same order you have. Okay. Um. And that's really impressive. If your sixth yeah. best album is something as good and you know mature and interesting and different as I'm Easy to Find, uh, and I think this is one that it's going to be really interesting to see how this one ages over time. Yeah. This is a like I, I use the word mature. I really think this is like this is a, an adult ass rock band album to oh, make. Yeah, it is. these this is, these are grown ups. Yeah, that made this album making grown up ass. They're music. not pretending to be no no young and angsty anymore. No, no. it's artistic in a fucking like I know myself. <laughs> yeah, because I'm pushing fifty yeah, kind of way. Seriously, like, you know what I mean? Like, and I guess um, where we can kind of maybe leave it with, with the the national conversation for now. Although I have a feeling we'll come back to talking about this album throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as we let it still continue to sink in, I think I want to leave it here, uh, at least for myself. Is um, where do we think the national go from here? I, I have a feeling they're going to take a very long break, or might not put out another album. I think this could be a bookend to a, a this kind of era of the band. And when I say era, I mean they've been going strong for 20 years, you know? Yeah, I think they'll put out more music. I think I think it's going to be a while before I they do, though. Like I, I said, I think they kind of emptied the vaults with a lot of these songs. I agree with that take. I think it will be... It'll definitely be a bit. I mean, we got two in in less than two years. Yeah, from them and a lot of songs between Sleep Well Beast. And, yeah. I mean, we have we have two hours of music yeah. from them in two years. Yeah, which is a lot. And um, yeah, I mean, I think they're you know they'll they'll tour a bit. I think they're gonna definitely have to do some writing and figure out what is next for them. But well, it is a new era, like you're saying. It definitely is. And I guess my question is like, do they want to keep putting out national records? Because they're doing a lot of other projects and it's not like they need the money, I don't think. Isn't that crazy that it's like it takes you this long and to be this successful as an indie rock band to be like, all right, like now we're probably set with money. I think, I I, I don't know. I mean, I could maybe, be, You know what? Maybe they were back at Trouble Will Find Me. But. Maybe. I could be missing something. Uh, to me, it seems like they're still a band that enjoys making music together and enjoys pushing stuff to new areas together. I think there's a lot of interest 
in them doing other projects, though. For sure, but... I Especially mean, the Desner twins. But they've done that and continued to release that's these true. albums. That, that's fair. That's very fair. I just feel like they will release more national Well, music. they spoke a lot about um, how Mike Mills, the producer, really, like, switched up the process for them and made this an easier record to make than some of the past ones. And yeah. they were basically like, we maybe wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for him coming and being... They literally, they're like, this wouldn't have been... This wouldn't have come out this fast in this way... If Mike Mills didn't reach out to us and said, "Hey, I have an idea for you," do you like, know what he did that was different? Um, basically, I think made it a little more fun. Was kind of um, this neutral voice that removed some of like the painstaking decision making that would have to go into Seems this. Like that kind, was what really kind put of put strain on them. The definitely, past. and he was kind of just like, "No, like let's just do this," or like, "I have this idea, let's just run with it." So it was a lot like looser of a of an experience. So, um, I think it's, it worked out. Um, but if they weren't doing that on those past records, like, are they as good as they are? You know, like it's an interesting, what if I don't think they are either. I think that's a major thing that made the national, what they are, right. Is that conflict and some of that, some of that, uh, dissonance probably. And I I think they are notoriously not a band that fights in a way that like fucking Motley Crue would have fought. But it's like, I, I think that like they're they they go at it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like from what I've read, like it sounds like Matt is not always the easiest to work no. with, and can be like really particular. Like I always remember reading a quote about, or when they when they brought up the harmonica that made its and way sea onto a Sea of Love, yeah. and he was like, evidently he fought against doing it, and then he got like an ear infection or something, yeah. and they snuck it into the panel that was <laughs> yes. that ear or something like that. Yes. And he was like, yeah, I don't remember like having a problem with our harmonica, but he's like, you know what, that's probably something I would have done. Yeah, right? Like, I bet he's like kind of a dick I, sometimes I, I, about the decisions yeah. they're trying Definitely. to make. Definitely. Definitely. So I bet, yeah, I having, having this like... This... He ends up getting a bit of an ego with like being yeah. like kind of the face of this band. That but... was the subtext of um of that documentary. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Or one of the subtexts. Definitely. Was that documentary called again? Mistaken for Strangers. Mistaken for Strangers. Yeah, the one his yeah. brother made. Yeah. yeah. Such a good movie. Really, really good. Um, Let's hit on some of these other ones quickly. Yeah. Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, Dedication, came out. Um, Tyler, the creator, Igor, came out. And then Alex Leahy... With her second album, The Best of Luck Club. These are three very different albums. Um, also three very different albums from the national um, sound-wise. Yeah. I think these are all very good in their own ways, though. I was... Like, we were blessed this last Friday with new music. These are all very, very good, but ha- in different ways. Hashtag blessed, yeah. Yes. I, I, Too blessed to be stressed. Uh, which of these has jumped out at you the most? Okay. Um, I, I actually... I actually think it's Carly Rae. This album is fucking flames. The the hooks on here, the production, everything. This is such a confident album from her. Just to be like, yeah, I make these fucking pop songs and they're all gonna bang. So I gotta say, like, I I, I agree um, that the Carly Rae album is the one that has popped to me the most of these. Um, really enjoying it and, I, and a couple of the the songs that stuck out to me are are the song real love i immediately, I, I love that song when yep. i heard it added it directly yes. to my best of the year playlist yep. the she's doing something on that song which is like my favorite thing she does which is incorporate this like really cool sounding horn synth oh, it's like that m83 yeah. kind of midnight city sounds thing. so sick yeah um yeah 
Or maybe that feels right. I'm not sure. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of of real love. There's this like at the end. There's this like horn. You're right. Of thing. I'm thinking of a different song. Yes. Okay. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it, yeah, it's more from her. That's like it's self assured, and there's a lot of like really catchy stuff R- on it. Real love is a highlight for sure. Party for one is great as well. One of the lead singles. Um. I really enjoy feels right. Yeah, and, me too. And too much uh, in the middle of the album, and then the second track, no drug like me. I really like as well. I was, I, I, I'm just very impressed by this album. I was liking the song "The Sound" too a lot. Like honestly, there's not a bad song on here. In no, my opinion. Not. When I so with Alex Leahy, I was listening to to that one earlier. I was super impressed with a lot of the songs on this album. This this album's really good too. Like first of all, that first track, "I Don't Get Invited to Parties Anymore," is great. Bangs. It's great. I, I love Isabella. That sounds like a fucking Beatles song, man. And it, and it's the yeah okay. So I wanted to shout out Isabella, yeah, because it's like sort of the most poppy on there directly, and it kind of it does sound like a Beatles song. And with those little that little piano riff at the beginning, super catchy. I also was really digging in, uh, interior demeanor. Yeah, is really really good. Uh, Don't be so hard on yourself. It's not like maybe one of my favorites, but, but I like solid. I like yeah. it in the track list where it comes up. Um, definitely impressed. And I so. She she's out of Australia, right? She sounds yeah. like yes. There's there's an Australia sound now. Yeah, right. It's, it's like Courtney Barnett is kind of the vanguard of it, and there's a lot of but musicians. It's like Camp Cope, Alex Leahy, even um, what was it Julia Jacklin earlier this yeah. year? Like, there's definitely an Australia sound. It's like this female, like str- like this strong female. Estella Donnelly is another one, like. Yeah, strummy guitars with like hooks, a little bit lo-fi production, yep. and like kind of you know some distortion in there. They're probably playing Fenders. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like there's there's definitely this Australia sound, and that's what like got me on this. Although I think this one did a better job on first listen for me of jumping out in a way that like some of those others didn't totally. Even some of the Courtney Barnett stuff True. hasn't jumped out at me as so, much. So, um, how much time did you spend with Alex Leahy's first album, I Love You Like a Brother? Uh, oh, right. I forgot all about that so, album. Sometime. Go back and listen to that. Weirdly, I listened to this album kind of a lot. At Dude. least a handful of songs from it. The first five songs on that record are can't miss. Every Day's the Weekend, I Love You Like a Brother, Perth Traumatic Stress Disorder... I haven't been taking care of myself in backpack. That's like five for five, knocking it out of the park. Hey, I think the the second so, half of that record dips a little in quality, but like, holy shit, she's like, she's doing her thing. So I gotta be totally honest. This is something that happens to me. It, it, I, I in my brain, I sort of call it podcast saturation. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that I remember that album. I forgot that it was the same artist. Yeah. Wow. I forgot that Alex Leahy. That I I didn't even put it together oh that that God. was the same thing. <laughs> wow! But I remember that album. And I remember liking like a bunch of those songs. Yeah. But there's so many fucking artists who come up and come out with music that it's just one where I never connected the pieces until literally right now when you <laughs> said it. That's actually crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, check that out again, but I'm really liking that too. Um, I, I don't have a ton to say, but this Tyler the Creator album, Igor, is is good. Um, I can't say any one song in particular has like jumped out at me. I think it's just a consistent listen. And also, if I'm being honest, like I've been so taken with the national Carly Rae and Alex Leahy that I just haven't had as much time to really dive into Tyler the Creator. But he's doing cool stuff as always. So yeah, I, I like I, that too. I, I really liked this album a fair amount. I mean, I think 
I lose a little interest as I move towards the middle and the back half of the album. But Igor's theme is really cool. Yeah. Earthquake is really cool. I I just appreciate Tyler, and it feels like he's moving into what his version of a more mature career is. Flower Boy and this album feel like more artistically realized statements to me. I I, I agree. Than previous albums are. That's the thing with me and and Tyler. Like, we (laughs) hang out or something. But, like, with his albums... I, I don't know. I rarely do all that heavy a deep dive. I'm always interested in what he's up to. Same. Yeah, same. I never like fully latch on, but I'm always there for it. I'm always like, yeah, I'll check it out and I'll enjoy it. But then I'll be like, okay, I'm all set now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so that's sort of where, that's I'm, kind of where I'm at at the moment. We'll see if I dive back in. Jake, uh, let's round it out with a release radar. What do we have this week? Um, the only one that, that I saw that I thought was really worth noting was the new Flying Lotus, uh, Flamagra, it looks like it's called. You know, I quickly read this and I wanted it to say Flamagrama, but it like, doesn't. Like Cosmogramma. Right. But which it, I it's thought not it said that. too. Flamagra. Yeah. Um, should be cool. We talked about Flylo, I think a couple weeks ago yeah, on we the did. podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'll definitely check it out cool. and I'm sure if it's anything like his previous albums, it'll be, be good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back. Uh, we'll, I mean, we'll feel it out. I feel like we're in a nice little kind of zone of like, you know, if there's stuff to talk about, we'll talk about it. If yeah. not, you know, if life gets in the way. So we will be back. We just don't quite know when exactly. Maybe next week. Maybe two weeks. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe never. We'll see, guys. We'll keep you on your toes, but we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Okay, before we get to Game of Thrones talk, Jake. Yep. A uh, couple New York observations for you. New okay. York City. I was I was visiting this past weekend. Where is that? Um, it is north of New Jersey, south of Connecticut, Mid Atlantic area. Yes, tri-state. Okay, is that near Newark? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've heard of New York. No, no. So, oh, New York, New York. Yes. Oh. Yes. New York, New York. Oh, like the biggest city in the country. Yes. Gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. By far. Um, eh, maybe not by far, but... Um, Is it Los Angeles? No. New York still. Mm-hmm. Right? I think, yeah. Population-wise. Yeah. Um, love it. But, okay, so I was in New York. First of all, Connecticut's awful. The drive through Connecticut fucking sucks. The thing is, it's actually a really small state. It doesn't feel does like, not feel like it. it. It's the longest stretch of the drive. Oh, it's New York by a mile, by the way. It's oh. like, it has more than double the population of L.A. Oh, shit. L.A. has 3.85 million. New York has 8.24. Jesus. People are stacked on top of each other in New York. It's insane. They are. Here's is that co- one of your observations? Here's a couple. No, we all know this. Here's a couple takes for you. One, when it's hot out there, the garbage smell can be real gross yeah number two everyone there is wearing airpods so like oh yeah airpods as a trend are are like you know they've exploded over the last year and i feel like where we live in new hampshire it is not as popular like you'll see them every now and then yeah um but it's not across the board new york like 
everyone's wearing them. I, like kids, adults, work, everyone's got AirPods on. Yeah. So that was a big sea change that I noticed. Okay, interesting. The uh, AirPods. A lot of AirPods. And, and of course, these observations that I'm giving you are not really of any consequence. Like I already told you about no, the actual no. trip. So these are just like... These are good. I'm interested. Curiosities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, <laughs> there was this guy near Battery Park who was like... The coolest, most charming, like, black guy of all time. Whoa. He was basically, like... Like, we were waiting at a crosswalk. That's another big thing, is, like, the crosswalk life is very different. Where it's, like, everyone is waiting, but also, like, they're all timing it with the light. So, like, people start walking before the crosswalk signal goes. Big crosswalk culture. Big crosswalk culture. And this guy, he was with, like, his friends or whatever. And he was walking across. He's like... Traffic stops for me. He's like, I stop traffic when I walk in the road. And like, Karen and I were laughing. We're like, <laughs> like this, this guy. This and guy's he, good. He noticed we were laughing at like, okay, like, in like, he, you know, he's trying to get people to like, you know, respond or whatever. And uh, he he sees out of the corner of his eye that Karen and I are like taken with him. yucking it up. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna lay it on a little more thick. He's like, I'm a cool guy in this city. He's like, mosquitoes don't even bite me in the summertime. And he just like keeps walking. You know, like we're dying at this. That's point. great. So that guy had us hook, line, and sinker. Um, what are some other good observations? Oh, um, did you go to an observation deck? No, no observation decks. Okay. Uh, although, I mean, I observed the Statue of Liberty from the shoreline. From a distance. So that works. Um, yeah, I mean, just the city, man. It's uh, it's interesting. You know, I will say the – I like, okay, if I lived in New York – first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm going in all different directions here. If you lived in New York, what borough would you like to live in the most? Or what neighborhood? What area? Uh, I mean, like, so if I really had to choose, and I don't – this is not knowing really anything at all about the about Queens, the Bronx, right. or Staten Island. I just know I wouldn't want to live there. Where I haven't been. Me either. I mean, like, it would be cool to live I mean, in I've Brooklyn. Driven, I've driven through the Bronx. It would probably be cool to live in Brooklyn, but, like, obviously it would be sick to live in one of the cool neighborhoods in, in yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. Like, I'm not even the familiar. The village or the meatpacking district or something. I'm not even familiar with all of the neighborhoods. Brooklyn would definitely be up there. Um, I went to the East Village for the first time, which I yeah. really, really liked. Uh, the Upper West Side was also really cool. There's all these different subcultures exactly. and, and different types and of neighborhoods. Just, you're like, and I ended up realizing... It takes a long time to get from neighborhood to neighborhood, or especially borough to borough. Like, getting from Manhattan to Brooklyn takes a long-ass time. A really long time. And and, and think about that. I've often think of, thought about this. Like, when I took a bus to New York with Mary-Kate when we were leaving, and we were driving, the bus just went straight up Manhattan and then through the Bronx. Because I think Bronx is north of Manhattan. It's like how you get out yeah. towards, like, Connecticut. Yep. Yeah. And we were driving up, and, like, we're passing... You know, whatever Central Park in the fifties, right. like Fifty Fifth Street, say for example. Then we're up in the sixties, and then you're like, "Oh shit, we're up in the one hundred and twentieth Street." Right. Like, there's so many, and I was thinking about the fact that there are so many people in the city, yep. and there's so many businesses. Oh like when you're God. driving through, and you're going up through the Bronx, and you're getting up into more like Northern Manhattan, yeah. And you start to see like the real neighborhoods yeah. and where like real fucking people live. It's like there's so many stores. You literally, if you tried, started one day yep. walking from the southern tip of Manhattan 
to just the northern part of Manhattan, you could like maybe literally never see it all. Yeah. And by the time you got back, it so much of it would have changed. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I was thinking about how like stores, like so many of these stores are either new, they've been around like a year, they won't be around next time I'm here. It's overwhelming. The it's like a little, yeah, it of is. of activity and things to see. Um and, and especially I think for people like us who like try to take everything in or just I sponge or, it. or just do by default it's like too much sometimes because mm-hmm. you're just like oh it's constant stimulation and i guess like if you were to live there you'd get used to it and a lot of that would just become like white noise basically and you'd yep. learn how to block it all out but as someone who's not used to that it's so much because you're just like looking all over the place at everything. It seems like it's, it is stimulation everywhere because yeah. everything looks so cool right. and so different and, different. and massive. Yeah. Right. Especially right. in Manhattan. And like, I what I do like about, I mean, I guess it, I don't really think it extends to the other boroughs as much as in Manhattan. You, it would be really hard to get lost because it's like oh, yeah. the, the way, it, I mean, unless, I mean, I guess in the southern part of Tribeca and all that, like down where you were at Battery Park, all that shit, easier to get lost. Not really. The, the streets, the street, it's a little more like Boston yeah. or like another Northeast city where it's just like there's Fulton Street yeah, and there's that's like true. Fucking, that's true. They just have names. like our hotel was on Stone Street. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's like Church Street and right. stuff. But like p- up past there, it's just literally numbers and yeah. and gr- it's grid pattern, all right. numbers. And uh, so I, I remember really liking that. And I rem- like one of my favorite things we did way back was like go to Central Park. And walk through, we went to the John Lennon site and stuff. Yep. And we saw the Dakota building where he lived and right. where he got shot and stuff. Right. Crazy yeah. to see that. It I is. Mean, that, that's the thing. It's like New York is so ubiquitous throughout all pop culture. And you get a sense of it by watching TV shows and movies and seeing it in pictures and everything. But to actually be there is entirely different. And you're trying to reconcile this idea of what it was in your head through pop culture with what it actually is when you're there experiencing it. Yeah. And I had mentioned to you earlier about High Maintenance and how I feel like that show uh, on HBO is one of the best representations of the city for what it is like when you're actually there. Yeah. I, so I have a couple thoughts about New York and really any big city to an extent. So did you... It's two, it's two parts. One, have you ever had the feeling like when you would go to New York before... Um, that it, it it's almost like you're going to an amusement park and, <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. get there and you have to remind yourself like, oh yeah, people live yes, here and this yes. is just a city and like these landmarks are not, they're, they're just places yes. and people actually live here and part two is when you explore more of the neighborhood parts of Manhattan, like you said you went to the village and like if you walk around more like down the 20s and like those lower streets did that go away for you a little bit? Because it did for me. It yes. was like a little bit more like, oh, these are more like just, this is like a more residential type of area. Especially when we were walking through Brooklyn. Um, it's very much just like, oh, these are true neighborhoods where people just are living. Because uh, there's really no like touristy landmarks there. It's, it's not like, a huge building. I'm sure there's tourists actually all around, but they blend in more than... Yeah. When you see a whole group of like old people getting off of a tour bus in Battery Park headed towards the ferry to go to Statue of Liberty or whatever. It's like there's certain areas where you're like, oh, this is very, very touristy. Then there's other areas where it's just like, no, this is just you're in someone's neighborhood. I think what I found too is like, I don't know what it was. Like when I was a kid, I definitely had this like this mix of awe and a little bit of fear of New York. Definitely. Definitely. The first time I went, I got like really overwhelmed Uh and scared when I was 13. 
I went with my family, and I wasn't used to that many tall buildings. No. And, I mean, this was four years after 9-11, yeah. and I was really afraid of that happening right. again. I mean, obviously the logic of that makes no sense, but I was Doesn't have to. 13 years old or whatever. And every time I saw like a plane way, yeah. way up, I was like, oh, what's right. going to happen? Right. Like, what, right. what's going on? We were in Times Square. There were so many people. Yeah. I shook some of that in more recent yeah, visits. Yeah, yeah, Well, I think just as you become an adult, you, you, you mature, you get sure. more used to it. Like that happened to me. Um, you know, when I went with my family, I was very overwhelmed by it. I mean, to be honest, even the last time, last two times we've gone together, yeah. when we went to go see the National, and then when we saw Paul McCartney, uh, oh, there was a lot yeah. of that too. And I think this was probably the first trip where I really was able to just drop a lot of that and realize that just like. You're just one of many here, and it like you're just passing through, and like yeah. don't worry about There's it. There's an anonymity to it. Yes. It's beautiful. Yes, yes. It's like yes. kind of like going to the country in yep. a weird way because no yep. one gives a shit. Exactly. You're just a person walking by. Yep. I do think that sometimes in cities, like you know, like those people who will try to be handing out mix mix oh. CDs. They Didn't can see any of them. But. No, I feel like it's less in New York, but in LA, there's LA, a lot of it's, that. Yeah. There's they can smell you from a fucking oh, mile yeah. away if you're yeah. a tourist because they see the like. The awestruck deer, look, deer yeah. in the headlights yes, look. Yes, man, uh, um, it's classic stuff. Do you want to talk about? Thrones? Uh, let's talk about Thrones. So uh, I think I actually sort of guessed that this was gonna be the ending. I was talking to Kara, and I was like, I feel like it's gonna be this. I feel like John's gonna go back to the Night's Watch. Bran will be king. Danny's gonna die. So I heard it on binge mode. I didn't, not the Bran thing. I didn't really know who they'd make king or make queen, but. Uh, on Binge Mode, they mentioned that they, they thought John would kill Danny and go back to the Night's Watch. And I was like, that makes sense. Makes a lot of so sense. So I went in thinking that With would happen. With the Maester Aemon stuff. And then, of course, John mentioned him in the episode. Honestly, look, if this season wasn't so whiplash Rushed. fast, a lot of this actually makes sense and would land yeah. and is actually a fulfilling ending. The way they got there in most cases, especially in this episode, were didn't feel that good. No. So those parts... So I, I'm going to separate it. Like, yeah. I don't like the way they got to the point they got to, but I actually like the ending. Agreed. Is that crazy? No. no like a I, lot of people are like, oh, what? Like, Bran, but Like... Yeah, I, I didn't really give a fuck who was king. I cared about what happened to the characters I liked. Yeah. And... Um, it is sort of weird with Bran that now we can theorize that oh like you know everything that has happened and will right. happen and so you did all this to become king actually yeah right all this shit like the, the war against the Night King you knew that after all that you'd go down and more people would get fucking incinerated yeah and you're like Bran's a bad guy here's the thing well they, the, or, or the Raven is a bad guy they never fully explained no, that's Bran's powers and if he was actually able to see the future in that much detail. Clarity. So he could definitely go back into the past and see the past. However, I think he only got snapshots of the future. Like, Maybe. remember, there there were two flashes of the future that we got. I like that no one ever asks him, though. I know. No one's ever like, hey, Bran, like, have you seen any of this? Right. What might happen? Seriously. You have a hunch about who might be king? Maybe you? <laughs> like, dude, when he's like... When, Maybe you? Like, when they were like, would you, like, Bran the Broken, would you accept? And he's like, why do you think I have come here? It's like, well, what? Okay, here's the thing, though. I think as pieces on the board move, he gets a better idea of how things are going to play out. Like, for example... 
early on when he first became the Three-Eyed Raven, the old Three-Eyed Raven was like, you'll never walk again, but you'll fly. Yeah. And then he had this vision of a of a dragon flying over King's Landing, and I think we all assumed he'd warg into a dragon over King's Landing, whatever. And then he also had the vision of um, the throne room like with snow falling in it. And then Danny had that same vision when she was in like Koth or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so though that was kind of like foreshadowed. And if I were to guess, I would say the future was a constantly evolving, changing, moving thing for Bran. And he actually didn't know. Because yeah. if he did, it's like, dude, you got to let on a little bit more. Yeah. So here's the thing. I, I, I generally liked the season. I generally liked, I especially, I, I thought... Episode two was one of my favorite episodes of the show they've done. I thought the battle episodes were pretty good. Um, I will say that I think there were some things that were insanely rushed. And the three that I have the biggest problem with are, one, Jamie with Brienne, Jamie mm -hmm. going back to Cersei, yep. and then Jamie and Cersei both being dead without any good Cersei scenes, without Cersei doing anything except drink wine in a window. Yep. They wasted Cersei this season. Wasted Cersei. They also kind of wasted Daenerys. Because Daenerys... <laughs> Like, had more screen time. Yeah. But, like, so her arc is she, she does this, eventually, like, commits genocide. Yep. Attains power. And then within 30 minutes is, is being killed. Yeah. We don't really see what she even would be as a leader. What she I would know. even have tried to be. We don't see shit of that. I, I know. The other thing that was most rushed, I think, that was, like, kind of made almost no sense. And I love Tyrion. I don't play Obviously, Peter Dinklage I love, too. The... Uh, that fucking like the the people who assembled and Grey Worm brought oh, him yeah, out as a I prisoner. Know. Also, fuck Grey Worm. Grey Worm is a shitty character. They went from in in Showtime five to seven minutes. Tyrion being a prisoner, yep. who Grey Worm was like, "You don't speak <laughs> unless spoken to." <laughs> and and Tyrion was like, "Oh, like, like uh, he's this fucking prisoner." To Tyrion. Naming a king! Five fucking minutes later! Also, why does Grey Worm hold so much water? Like, what's that dude doing telling these lords and ladies of Westeros, like, what to do? Also, like, I saw a lot of people be like, wait a minute. Like, the Unsullied just fucked off to Essos again? Like, why doesn't Jon just do whatever the fuck he wants? It's, yeah, that's, dude, that's the other thing with Jon. It's like, okay, so he's been exiled to the Night's Watch. That's convenient and a clean way to close it up but he had no agency in it and he dude was the rightful fucking king which is why he killed Daenerys I know he didn't want to no, no 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 here's the thing I think he killed Daenerys because he was like this is actually the right thing to do I know but it's also like they should at least have explored it somewhat after he did it they should have been like like why wouldn't Tyrion be like he is Aegon Targaryen, and there are people, including fucking Bran yeah. and Sam, who have proof. Here's the thing. Why not explore that? I think the Maester Aemon thing is precedent for Jon being like, I don't want it. I did this thing that I know is maybe wrong, but I did it for the greater good. There's Kingslayer, Maester Aemon parallels there. And I think Jon was like, I did this thing. And he said to Tyrion, he's like, did I do the wrong thing because it feels like the wrong thing and I think John kind of wanted to be punished and that's why he was just like yeah fuck, fuck it send me to the Night's Watch and I think as well it was a little confusing in, in the like the shortened timeline of everything threw it off because it's like he got to Castle Black 
and then immediately left with Tormund and, and Ghost and the rest of the Wildlings north of the Wall. In reality, I think he was probably at Castle Black for a while. Yeah. Waited out the winter. And then, I don't know if you noticed, they flashed very, very briefly. There was a little plant coming out. I think they waited for spring. And he's like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to go just be beyond the wall. I think my problem with it is it makes it so that R plus L equals J, the whole thrust of the show, John's through line of, like, discovering who he really is, really not matter. Well, I think... It doesn't matter that um, much. You know, Jake, we talk a lot about subverting expectations. Yeah, I think this was that. I don't know. I don't <laughs> no, know. But I didn't. Seriously, I think one of the things you could say is that prophecy and destiny are actually. R plus L equals J is just a theory. It's not a prophecy. No, I know. But I'm saying, like, just because people think something should happen or is destined to happen, or this whole thing was actually about, like, breaking the wheel. We all thought Danny was going to be the one that breaks the wheel, but it was actually Bran the Broken yeah, who I, broke the wheel. And it's ironic because now he's wheeled around on a wheelchair. I, I get it. I didn't think it was and set all up. all the wheels on the bus. I didn't Jake. think it was set up very well. It wasn't, but that's, like, the point, I think. Bran also didn't want to rule until now. He was yeah. like, I don't want anything. It's right. like, all right, now you want to be king? Well, I don't think he wants to. I think he recognized, like, oh, this is actually the best thing for everyone. And, like, as the three-eyed raven, like, they I, use look, char- I, I'm trying to play devil's advocate. I know. They use his character for convenience sake so much. Well, they, they, I, I think Benioff and Weiss never liked to go into any detail about the magic of no, this show. No, they didn't, no. Which was frustrating, so. No, I, I don't even want John to sit on the Iron Throne at right. the end. I don't give a fuck about the Iron Throne. I just well, it doesn't exist anymore. Or, or the idea of a throne, right. which is also the dragon melting it is fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. What's a dragon give a fuck about a throne? Dragon is smart, man. That, I, whatever. But like, so with, but John, at least reckon with this idea. Right. Don't just say like, don't have him commit this murder. Right. And like, okay, part of it is he's like, Danny did some terrible things. Right. There's also a part of him that has to be wrestling with the idea of like. And I like there's something in me. There's something, right. like the there's a reason I'm here. Well, I, I, my argument to that would be he always identified as a Stark. He always saw yeah. himself as a Stark. He was wearing the Stark armor, et cetera, et cetera. He never saw himself as a Targaryen. But what? Why would he, why would no one who knew all this shit bring it up after? When when during, dude, the, the, the fucking, I don't know. Un, the, <laughs> I don't know. The Unsullied were Daenerys's guys. I know. Why don't people just be like she had less right to yeah. the throne? Dude, than do you think the uns, it's going to sway the Unsullied? They left. They're, they're fucking idiots, dude. I Grey know. Worm's a dumbass. He is. I'm just saying, like it. They Truly just, stupid. They should have at least said it. They should have at least been like John's the heir and given him some agency as a character to be like, ah. I'm leaving. Or, or I'm renouncing my claim. Yeah. I feel like it makes yeah. sense for John to be like, yeah, I, I renounce my claim yeah. and I'm going north. Which right. is probably what he, like, what he realistically he yeah. wants. I think, I think Whatever. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah, it, does, it doesn't really matter. Anyways, it was entertaining. Monoculture and television as we know it's probably pretty much done unless this Lord of the Rings Amazon show takes off. But uh, speaking of... Yeah, I, Stranger Things. I Yeah. Different animal, though. Yeah, very. With the binge thing. I was looking back today at Breaking Bad on Rotten Tomatoes for some reason. Yeah. Made me really want to rewatch it. It's so good. I also forgot, dude, that show has been over for almost six years. It <laughs> ended in 2013. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I remember watching. That still seems so yeah. recent to me. No, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, man. So anyways, I don't know, man. Like, I thought the season was pretty good. Yeah. I, yeah. It's impo- I fully understand. Like, it's really hard to tie up all the loose ends on a show like this. And I think they did like a lot of it as best they could. I agree, but the, and there's only so much you can explain, right? Uh, I will say 
uh, other TV of note, uh, Veep wrapped up. Show is hilarious. If you haven't watched the whole thing, listeners, I highly recommend that. Yeah. Barry was excellent this season. Um, and then Chernobyl, this miniseries, has been great too. Ooh, and belching gonna... into the mic. Not, good, yeah, not a, a good look, look for me. Uh, okay, that was a long pre-show. Let's dive in, Jake. We'll talk uh, the national, and then we'll hit these other ones very quickly. Let's and do then it. Uh, we'll be out. Speaking of, is your New Yorker observations thing, is that a reference to Parquet Courts, which I just realized? Isn't that a name of one of the songs? Uh, for what? New, oh, oh, yeah, you're right. It is. Yeah. No, it wasn't. That was on it. And I, when I was typing, I was like, "This looks familiar." Why does like, this look so yeah, familiar? Yeah, it's on. Uh, it's on Wide Awake. Interesting. All right, let's dive in. Uh, three, two, one. 